Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Uh, so glad you're here. We are, uh, it's a great Sunday to be here. We are starting a new series uh, called Side by Side, uh, in which we want to talk about what it means, uh, how do we let the, the good work of God uh, impact our relationships. And so this is a series on relationships and how do we have healthy relationships and how do we understand each other in each of our st- seasons of life and learn to honor and respect each other and create a culture of commitment and a culture of preference, to c- create a culture of belonging and a culture of isolation. And, and so uh, I want to give you the roadmap of where we're headed. Um, today we are talking about friendship. Yay! That's about, the, that's about the response I was expecting. Um, uh, commitment. Oh, that's a fun one. S- single, being single, um, and marriage and relationship repair. So um, we want you to know this is kind of where we're headed uh, in this series. And uh, this series is really important because um, in the church often we talk a lot about um, how God impacts our life and how do we grow a relationship with God. But um, uh, you know, uh, Dorothy Day once said that uh, you only love God as much as the person you love the least. If you can't say amen, say ouch. I mean, gosh, talk about go for the jugular right at the beginning of service. Um, so uh, we believe that uh, our relationship with God is primarily manifested um, in our relationships with each other. Uh, and so um, this is really important because relationships are the proving ground for the Spirit's work. Um, there's a lot of things. That, it reminds me of the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, you can, um, if I speak with tongues of men's of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and cannot fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but I do not have love, it is meaningless. If I give all possessions to the poor... And, that, and, and don't have love, I gain nothing. And so uh, the proving ground for if the Spirit is at work in us is in our interpersonal relationships. Uh, that is what the fruit of the Spirit is, right? Like you can't really have any of those things in that list without a relationship. Patience, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control. They are all um, words that describe what it means to be in a uh, covenant united friendship relationship with other people. Uh, and so not only is it the proven ground for the Spirit's work, but this is a, a, it takes intentionality um, to nurture faithfulness. Now, um, in li- all of life, we do a lot of things. We do a lot of maintenance work, right? Like you maintain your car, you maintain your house, you guys tuned your instruments this morning. Um, we do a lot of things to maintain, but we, our maintenance in our relationships, can I just be honest, in our culture is sloppy at best. Uh, sloppy at best, that we don't really, it takes, it's going to take intentionality and hard work to nurture faithfulness in our relationships. There's no program we can teach you. There's no technique, uh, though today we are going to do some equipping. But there is a path for renewal that involves prayer, discernment, it involves uh, uh, humility and commitment in our relationships. And so uh, for many of us, though, if we're honest, this kind of work, uh, we're just, we're tired. We're tired of being hurt. Uh, tired of trying, tired of being misunderstood, and many of you probably just said this phrase, uh, it's, it's just not worth it anymore, right? 
Um, and so we need to reignite an intentionality that nurtures faithfulness. And then lastly, um, the series is important because individualism is an epidemic and loneliness is an epidemic in our culture. Our world is getting better and better at being connected, but yet all of us are reporting that we feel lonely and more disconnected than ever. And I'm not talking about the stereotypical recluses and hermits that we picture. I'm talking about all of us in this room. Struggling with loneliness to, to epidemic measures than never before. Study after study shows that internet use and social media, the higher you use, the more lonely you feel. The more social media, the more lonely you're likely to be. Um, we spend more time like, it's because you spend more time liking someone's picture that you met five years ago, their vacation to the Bahamas, than you do talking to your neighbor across the street. And so we spend less time face-to-face. In the face-to-face, we have empathy, development. We, we begin to, to experience joy of being heard and understood. And studies show, even though we have a lot of friends, you can only have history, continually study after study shows, you can only have up to 100 and 150 friends. And even what we're talking about today, we're actually talking about the amount of friends, you, that, the, the deep, deep work of being heart understood and, and being able to cry because you're so happy with the things you're sharing, um, that kind of friendship, we're talking only like three or four people um, that we're talking about today. Um, we, we, we sometimes uh, mistake chemistry for community. Um, that's the beginning, but we're going to get there. Um, but there's this sense of, now we're not just talking, this sense of loneliness, it's easy to kind of also conjure up this sense of like, okay, like, we're talking about people who maybe um, aren't in a committed relationship. Um, no, like one of the saddest, most sing- loneliest people are those who are in a marriage but yet feel extremely lonely or those who are in leadership positions and feel extremely lonely. This is something that affects all of us. And so um, I want to talk about um, just this uh, sense of erosion of friendship first before we dive into our passage in John 15, uh, that we live in such an eroded friendship. Number one, like, we have a sense of erosion in friendship because of our urban life together. Uh, there's a sense where we are surrounded by so many strangers, yet, yet we, our relationships feel thin, instead of what sociologists call a thick community compared to a thin community. Because the people we know and look out for are going to sometimes leave, right? How many of you have had a close friend leave Chicago? Raise your hand. Every single one of us are like, yes. Um, and so mobility causes us to lose this sense. I remember growing up, my hometown, small town, my favorite ritual was Sunday at 2 o'clock. Sunday at 2 o'clock was everybody comes out to play basketball at the, 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 play, the, the neighborhood um, playground. And so uh, that's the thing. If you're there, if you're in town, you go. If you're not, it doesn't matter. And how it, it's not about Sunday at 2 o'clock basketball. The thing is, is where do we intentionally have those kind of spaces to put down roots in this city? Um, and so we need to learn how to intentionally invest in places where we actually live. Not only is this troubling because of urban life, um, second, we have a sense of tribalism and politics that uh, erodes our friendships. Uh, it's ironic that politics is no, wants to be known for bringing people together, <laughs> But uh, in our day and age, in an era of Trump and massacres and horrible things, um, we are seeing that this is a peg community that basically uh, we, are, we are like united for what we're against, right? That's what tribalism is. You're united about what you hate. Community is you're united about what you love. And so in a sense, we have become polarized more than ever in which politics 
uh, has easily like drifted us apart. And when you are lonely, um, it's easy to go to cable TV, social media, your BuzzFeed to give you a sense of community and the polarized tribes forming on the left and right, and these become these peg communities. But also politics is now seeking to r recognize this. Uh, British Prime Minister Theresa May, uh, for the first time, identified a loneliness minister, that was her title, in the UK. A loneliness minister, because the loneliness epidemic in the British is rampant. It's not just in Britain. Rates have doubled since the 1980s. 35% of Americans say, I'm chronically lonely. Only 8% said that they had a conversation with their neighbor in the previous year. 1984, in America, average, the average uh, in 1984 of people who said they had confidence uh, uh, confidants that they trusted in, they had three. It was like, I can't remember the, I, I forgot to write down the statistic. Recent report said 35% said zero. They have zero people that they can confide in. Not only is this an issue with our tribalism and politics, but this is affecting our health. Uh, with loneliness comes a great deal of health problems. Studies show uh, close healthy relationships can increase your lifespan up to 50%, double your chances of surviving cancer, and can greatly reduce your chances of heart disease. Um, this is Dr. Dean Ornish, who's a best-selling author and physician. Um, he says, I am not aware of any other factor in medicine than intimacy and love. Not diet, not smoking, not exercise, not stress, not genetics, not drugs, not surgery, that has a greater impact on our quality of life. Incidents of illness and premature death from all causes. So we see that, the, the, that this is affecting not only our health, but all of us interpersonally, we, we have a sense of, of just fallout that has eroded, eroded our friendships. We don't know how to re resolve relationships anymore. How many of you know someone that you're like, yep, that was the last, com you can remember the last conversation you have with someone because you know it's not going to happen again. You're not going to talk to them again. Um, we have an erosion of friendship because we no longer know how to reconcile. In church, we are a reconciling community. That is the call of the Christian faith, is to be one who knows how to reconcile with your friends and enemies. And so um, there's a lot we can tell about someone by the friends we keep. Um, and then the last two, I would say, are, are to me most rampant, is just this over-romanticized, uh, sexualized culture we live in. Um, we put erotic love, sexual love, first in our culture. Um, how many movies do you know that are about Two friends, just getting, I mean, Lord of the Rings and I Love You, Man. That's like the only two I could think of, all right? Like, I don't know what else to put in that category. Um, next time you go to the grocery store aisle, look at the glossy magazine covers and plastered across the front is who's best friends with who? No, it's who's sleeping with who, right? And you want to know. And maybe I want to know. I don't know. Let's see. But, uh, but there, there's this sense that, that uh, th we've pushed friendship in our modern life to the side. This all is like the fruits uh, of Sigmund Freud's like, suspicion that every single relationship has behind it some kind of erotic love. Has pushed this sense of, in ancient cultures, friendships were not just private, they were public. Look at William Wilberforce and the Clapham sect that began to erode and destroy slavery, the institution of slavery. Those bonds were a public bond of friendship that everyone know that's their posse. Right? This was like, uh, friendship was such a uh, committed, loyal, stubbornly loyal web in which we've lost. Several years ago, a writer named Carrie English wrote a disarming essay in the Boston Globe called A Bridesmaid's Lament. 
in which she writes about standing as the bridesmaid to her best friend, hearing these vows of saying, I'll be with you in sickness and in health, till death do us part, love unconditionally. She's like, wait a minute, that was me. I, I thought she loved me. We loved each other unconditionally. And since she's like the sense that we don't have ceremonies or rituals to celebrate friendship, she'll be there for him in sickness and in health, but she'll be there for you on your birthday or when you, he has to work late. Um, and so she says, being platonically dumped wouldn't be so bad if people would acknowledge you have the right to be platonically heartbroken. But it's just not part of our vocabulary. However, much of our society might pay lip service to friendship. The fact remains that the only love it considers important, important enough to merit a huge public celebration, is romantic love. And so what she recommends is something truly revolutionary. She's like, what if we actually have like um, fancy anniversary parties for friendships, celebrating our friendships? May we do that, Miss Yoday? Can we can we begin the culture in Chicago of friendversary friendversaries? Let's do this. Cake, celebrating Bridget Jones marathons, road trips. Let's do this. I, that was her quote about Bridget Jones. I I just looked down and saw that in my paper. Thought I'd throw it out there. My wife loves that show. Me, on the other hand, just a little bit. <laughs> Esther Perel, one of the most leading marriage consultants, says that the reason marriages are suffering so badly and why dating culture is struggling so harshly is that all the expectations to meet one's relational needs are placed on one person, in which that was meant for a tribe to complete, not one single person that can meet all of our intimate mystery needs and feelings of intimacy and commitment even our closest friendships we have to guys have to joke about how to be friends like calling it a bromance because we don't have language for loving committed same-sex friendships in which scripture repeatedly shows this is the very heart of our God who walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day who began to know them intimately, that knew all their struggles and secrets, that they could be accepted completely for who they are, but also challenged to become the people that they would one day become. And that's what a friendship is. Not only this, we have an overemphasis on marriage in the church. Even the secret of marriage is maintaining a long-term friendship. The church needs a more robust theology of what wholeness and fullness means as a human being. This lie that I'll never be complete without a romantic partner. The fact remains, though, that only love our society considers important is romantic love. And we need friendships to have normalization in the church. Amen? And so lastly, uh, man, I could go like six more reasons. I'm going to end on this one. The last one is this sense of the freedom myth, this sense of autonomy being our ultimate fulfillment, which actually counterproduces the actual freedom and fulfillment that we want. This lie that the less I am entangled or the less accountable or the less rooted, the better I'm able to find my truest self and secure real happiness. It's so ingrained in our imaginations, it may undergird and nurture all of the myths. And your deepest fulfillment is personal autonomy, then friendship is more of a hindrance than a gift. And this is like (laughs) so true that it's, it, it's, it goes rampant. It, it's everywhere. Not only is it singles, it's young parents, it's empty nesters whose all their friends have moved away. And so I've got nothing more profound for you this morning than the secret of relationships this morning is just to talk about spiritual and biblical friendships. You're like, what? You seriously, that's it? I shaved my legs this morning for that? 
or, your, or whatever else you shave. <laughs> Peter Munn said amen. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's got good-looking legs. What? I mean, all right, I digress. Um, <laughs> spiritual friendships and sacred companions. What do I mean? I love what David Benner says is this. Soul friendship is the gift of a place where anything can be said without fear of criticism or ridicule. It is a place where masks and pretensions can be set aside. It is a place where it is safe to share deepest secrets, darkest fears, most acute sources of shame, most disturbing questions or anxieties. It is a place of grace, a place where others are accepted as they are for the sake of who they may become. Oh, so good. So what do I mean by spiritual friendships? I'm talking about a place where women are united in Christ, mesmerized by his grace, and galvanized by their stubborn loyalty to one another. Where women who know what it means to be a team and do triage on each other's hearts with the spirit of God and affection of Jesus that live out Proverbs 27, 6, that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. A sisterhood who openly and lovingly corrects when their sisters are kissing enemies who seek to devour their flesh and disregard their souls. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about spiritual friendship. I'm talking about men who refuse and renounce to live isolated and insecure lives, who refuse to live in a hole of isolation and shame, but instead still dream and share their dreams and visions, knowing they won't be lived into competition with one another, but carefully encouraged for their full redemptive potential. A band of brothers who know what it's like to be on the front lines of each other's integrity so much that there's not a hint of sexual morality among them. Men who do not run away from conflict or commitment, but demonstrate it by regularly meeting with one another, confessing their sins to one another so that they may be healed. And those wounded healers together can then, with humble confidence and divine authority, break chains, kill generational sin, and step into their role of loving the church and God's children. That is spiritual friendship. We need more of that, right? Amen? So if you don't have what I just described... We are in danger, all of us. And so I just want to pray that, that, that we would, um, is this going to happen overnight? No. Are you going to go out and be like, oh my gosh, now i got to go find a friend? That doesn't work, all right? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, my goal this week is just to go out and find friends. Because like, if you, you're like, you have to have something in common. You have to have some interest. You have to have some mutual pos- um, positivity, which we're going to talk about. Um, I know that many of you are wounded from the past, yes. But an isolated Christian is a dead Christian for too, if it goes on for too long. And especially in our marriages, when you put the pressure on your spouse to be the sole source of friendship, you will suffocate them. And so God, I'm praying that God would just bring um, bonds that are counterculture, that we would create a different culture at Missio Day. So I just want to jump into the scripture. That was my very long introduction. Sorry about that. Um, how long? How many minutes was that? I don't know. Fifteen? All right. I'm going to get going fast now. All right, I want to just walk verse by verse, John 15, um, starting in verse 9. And um, I just want to ask God to form solid, committed, loyal friendships today. Chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus uses the language of friendship to really expound on his commitment to us. As the Father has loved, uh, uh, as the Father has loved me, Jesus tells his disciples, so have I loved you. So have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my commandments. Uh, just have I, if I have commit, excuse me, 
Let me start that over. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So, first of all, if you want to be a source of love, you have to have a source of love. Jesus says that, first of all, before anything, he says this, that as the Father has loved me, so I love you. And so we have to have a source of love in order to be a source of love to others. And it's not waiting for the right person to come along. It's practicing it with God right here and right now, practicing that love for God in which we can then extend to others. And um, I also wanted to consider this. Is it possible that that sense of loneliness that we feel that sense of isolation in your life is not punishment, but a gift. It is a warning light on your dashboard telling you that this is a gift from God. That Did you know that before the curse, before the fall of Adam, Genesis 2 is not good for us to live alone. It is our God-given design. And so we need to do something about that. And Jesus, it's crazy to me that Jesus had friends. Like Jesus, God in the flesh, had friends. Um, I've heard it said, this is kind of humorous, that Maybe the greatest miracle Jesus ever performed was a 30-year-old single man who had 12 friends. I mean, that's, that's good. Whoever wrote that, I'm stealing it. I don't even know who to give credit to, but I just thought it was hilarious. Um, Jesus had friends. God in the flesh had friends that he needed and reciprocated in mutuality. And he says, I told you this so that my joy may be complete in you. And um, Proverbs 27 says this, perfume and incense brings joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of one's friend springs from the heartfelt counsel. So um, pleasantness uh, is this sense of like the sense of positivity, the sense of a common joy. Jesus says that like your joy may be overflowing, that my joy is overflowing because of you, because of this bond we have. Now, in this word pleasantness, um, it's often used to describe really sweet food, which back in those times, commentaries always point out that they didn't just make food recipes with sweet food. You had to go out and discover the fruit, right? They didn't have sugar pour in, right? Um, so friendship and the pleasantness of this is something to be discovered along the way as you are pursuing a certain cause or agenda or goal. And so the, the baseline of friendship, just to go to the next slide, um, is a common joy. That we have to have a foundation, a common love, a common vision. That can't be created, only discovered. So if you are not going anywhere, we can't have fellow travelers. I mean, I don't know. You can't, you can't be friends with someone that's like, someone's like, hey, what do you think about this? You're like, I don't really care. I just want to be friends, right? It's like <laughs> your goal can't be like, I just need to go out and find friends. Your goal is that as you are going along your God-given redemptive potential and you are pressing into his calling, pressing into the things that God has put on your heart, he will bring fellow travelers along the way. And that there will be a common joy that you share. That is the foundation of friendship, but it doesn't stay there. Jesus says in verse 12 and 13, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his marriage partner? No, for his friends. Lay down his life for his friends. Now, this is one example where the non-literal translation actually might be more powerful than the literal translation. Um, I have a friend who, one of his phrases that he'll say to me every once in a while was like, Brian, I'll take a bullet for you, which I, probably, I believe he probably would. Um, but that, that sense of that thing that like sounds so difficult, 
Like, I'm sure that he would do that. Um, I'm sure he would, I hope it would be a short death, go out in blades of glory, say something really cool. We'd memorialize it. He would be a hero for me. I wish I could return the favor if I was brave enough. But here's the deal. The most difficult thing we can say to each other is I would die a thousand deaths for you. That I would die a thousand deaths for you, that it is worth my time, my energy, my, my money, my resources, my commitment, my emotional bandwidth, my burden that I carry for you, that cost of forgiving, the inconvenience, no matter how much brokenness, you are not allowed to run, you are not allowed to hide until you become the person God made you to be, I will die a thousand deaths for you. That's what friendship is. It's the sense of sacrifice and second block of this triangle we're going to make is the word constancy. Um, so if you want uh, friendship, it is constancy. The problem is we want community and friendship until it requires sacrifice. Now, friends is not a means to an end, but an end of itself. Um, this has always stuck with me in my life. It is like a framework that I often like say as I walk around and live and move and breathe, is every person is either scenery, machinery, or ministry. Cute and clever, memorable. Every single person you meet, it's either scenery, oh, they're just there, machinery, I'm using them for my advantage, or ministry, I'm sacrificially loving, laying my life down for them. And so may we be a people that do not use people for our gain, but begin to love and sacrifice. And just a side note, if intimacy is the result of real love and real costly, one thing that it's going to cost you is conflict. It's going to cost you conflict. The lack of conflict is not a sign of a healthy relationship or friendship. It's a sign that one of you is, I'll just put, we're cowardly, to be honest, or we're codependent. <laughs> that the lack of conflict is because we are either, it, we don't want the pain of what it's going to cost us, not about what it's going to cost them, for us to have to lay down the, the line and be honest. And I, I love, you know, whenever you do premarital counseling, um, you, sometimes you'll hear a couple that's like, yeah, we really don't fight. And I'm like, yeah, you're screwed. <laughs> Maybe I should have used a better word than that. Sorry. Let me backtrack from that. I need that friend who would take a bullet for me to <laughs> take a bullet for me right now. Um, uh, we, we, uh, we often um, avoid conflict for our own gain. Um, but we have to learn to address it and move past it. Um, and so uh, if you don't tell your friend the truth, think about it this way, you're setting them up for failure. You're seeing something that is going to destroy them, and yet you are saying, I don't care about you enough to talk about it. I don't care about you enough to talk about it. Uh, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So sacrifice, so constancy. So we need cons- constancy. We have to be consistent. We have to be consistently there for our friends. And we have to consistently um, begin to lift up. There's an old proverb. The proverb's true also in the sense of, like, if you want to be friends, Jesus says, I'm not, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. But it's interesting that John 13, Jesus washed their feet. Um, for some of you, the best way you can develop friendship is to go out and be a servant. It's kind of the old proverb says. It says that I went out looking for friends, and I found none. I went out to be a friend, and they were everywhere. And then on the flip side of that, for you twos on the Enneagram chart, you need to stop serving everyone and actually like say, like, this is what I need and vocalize your needs and stop expecting us to mind read them. Amen for me. All right, I got a two wing. 
It's in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> and so uh, Jesus says this, that you are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. This is a third part of the triangle. I don't, the, the servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Do you see that? What is he doing? He's letting them in. He's completely letting them in in the most intimate parts, this gift of safety, the feeling safe enough that I don't have to weigh words or measure my thoughts. I'm able just to pour myself out, trusting that the other person's going to keep what's worth committing to and, and just blow away the rest that doesn't belong because I, have the, I know you and I have your best interest in mind. Who wouldn't want such a place of friendship as that? That we would just lay bare with no filter. We are so scared of that. But in a strange conspiracy of grace called the gospel, we can do that with our friends. That we can be at our best and at our worst and be loved. And that's the last part is, just, is this uh, vulnerability. So friendship is these three components. Common joy, constancy, which means there's a continual engagement, and then vulnerability. Um, and somewhere within constancy and vulnerability is also the ability to be truthful because it's very, very uh, vulnerable to be, be honest and truthful. Um, yesterday, uh, my wife had a birth, and uh, she's a doula, and I was with my kids all day. And so I decided to be the fun dad. I'm going to take you out. We're going to get, go get food. We're going to go buy stuff at the mall. We're going to come back. And then, um, you know, our neighbors knock on the door. They're like, can we, have a, can we have a sleepover? It's like, no, but you can just stay over there all night you want. Just stay over there until 10 o'clock if you want. Who cares? My, my three-year-old fell asleep. He wakes up at 10, 10, 9 p.m. And I'm like, now it's time for me to put him all to bed. Now great dad becomes grumpy dad. Right? I'm like yelling at him, go to your room, what do you think you're doing? I become just at my worst, right? My flexibility getting the best of me. Now what happens in those moments, you know, just, I can joke about that, but there's also times where I come here try to speak to you today, knowing that the last words that I had with my spouse were just horrible words. That if you could have put a tape recorder on my shirt and recorded everything, which is illegal, don't try to do it, um, and you heard the worst things I did, you saw all of my greatest sins, which at this point in my life are my words. Towards who? Usually directed towards my wife or my kids. Because why? Because not only are we at our best with those that we love and that we're close to, we're at our worst. And we're at our worst because we feel safe, because there's constancy and there's vulnerability. And it's not just that I'm at my worst. I'm at my real self in that moment. And I can be completely who I am. Stanley Hauerwas says this, friendship is I can't tell my story without your story. I love that. I can't tell my story without your story. Friendship is also another word for hope. Think about that. Friendship is another word for hope. So, all these three things, they result in a few things. Safety, we feel safe, we feel seen. And we feel satisfied. We feel safe because it's constant. We feel seen because we're vulnerable. And we feel satisfied because there's a common joy. And, in when, and in you can word it this way. The three things, if you want to word it one more way, is um, friendship is I'll never let you down. I'll never let you down. I'll always let you in. And then I'll always lift you up. That's friendship. Now, as I close this, 
you're probably leaving, a, I, as I studied for this, I've had a couple emotions come up. The first emotion is just longing, right? As you hear this, are you like, gosh, I want this. I want to have this kind of friendship. I want this kind of, I want more of this. As I look at this, I, I just long for this, right? There's another emotion that I also felt. I felt just completely devastated because I can't be this very well. I felt crushed under the weight of the fact and the condemnation of feeling like I am not a good friend. And I don't know, does anybody else feel that way? All right, not alone. We have to practice this, but we're not very good at it. How easy is it for you to be transparent, to give emotional connection? How easy is it at being there no matter the cost? This friendship is a real love, a true gift love. And what Jesus is describing is what he's going to do on the cross. And the reality is, is Jesus is the one who gives us the power to be this kind of friend. He gives us the power to be this kind of friend because apart from a real loving relationship with God, all of our efforts will end up be dueling with secret impatience, judgmentalism, disgust, resentment, envy, or anger. But Jesus' real love is a gift of genuine presence in which he laid down his life. Jesus on the cross was completely laid bare, completely vulnerable, completely open, completely there. And when he looked at us in this relationship on the cross, if he was going to stick this out or leave, he decided to stay. He decided to stay. And he said it was for your joy to be complete, that we have friendships that are not just for us, that are not exclusionary, but are always open to others to make room for more at the table because that's our common mission as a church is to always know that there's room for more at the table. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Band, you can come up. As we close and pray, we're going to take communion. Um, I just pray that this would be a time of ministry to one another. Many of you, maybe you need to um, pray for a friend. Pray for someone that is an acquaintance who's opened up to you lately. But would you just take a few seconds of silence as we pray um, and ask God to uh, show you what's one area of obedience that you can take today? What's the one thing that was shared that has your name on it? Many people, we're all honest, we're, we crave deep connection and struggle with feelings of loneliness because we live in a broken world. And often many of us unwilling to do what it takes to experience those types of relationships. And so if either of those, either of those statements are true, I'm asking God to give you the courage Take your next step towards friendship and community. Um, and if you don't know what that looks like, please, I'd love for you to just send me an email. I'd love to just get coffee with you, chat, hear what God's doing in your heart. But right now in this moment, I pray the Holy Spirit would press upon you the love of God upon you, that he sees you, he knows you by name, 
He calls you friend. He has never left you nor forsaken you. That he is loving you right now through some of the most tangible relationships in your life. And you've been chalking it up to that person and God's been screaming, hey, uh, that's me doing that relationship in your life. That's, I'm trying to speak through you, through that person, because I love to use the human being as an instrument for my grace. And God's saying, I've been trying to talk to you all along. And I'm showing my grace and forgiveness to you through this relationship, through this friendship. So right now, would you just praise God and thank God for the people in your life that have been closer to you than a brother or sister? Would you thank God for them? And then lastly, is there anyone else that God's calling you to make room for? Instead of having this high expectation of what we need in a friend, God has put someone in your very scope and sight, but you've overlooked them because you think that they don't have what it takes to be a friend and they've been so faithful to you and committed to you and God has come into this broken world and sabotaged the work of the enemy and in disguise has given you a gift. Or for some, we just need to to be a sacrificial friend for others that are in need in this season. So God, would you just move in our hearts, speak to us. Show us, uh, show us our next step. Give us your grace in Jesus' name. Man, would you guys stand and sing as we worship? Um, we're going to have some prayer leaders stand to my left, your right, up here in the front. Um, if you need prayer for anything, we would like to bestow a prayer of blessing upon you that God would cause you to flourish in your relationships. Maybe some of you don't know how to repair a relationship that's been broken. Others of you um, are just seeking community. Or some of you just don't even know, but you know you need to take a physical next step in symbolism to God that you are here faithful and ready to follow him wherever he leads you. If that's you, we want to pray for you up to the front. To my left, your right. And then we're going to take communion together in which Jesus laid down his life for us and sing and worship. Amen.